everyone, we're gonna we're gonna talk today about scaling. You know, something that is uh, very near and dear to my heart because I'm the type of entrepreneur who really likes to work towards the type of life where I can do nothing. So scaling has always been a, a really passionate topic for me because I see so many entrepreneurs, so many business owners, so many speakers, authors, coaches, and consultants and leaders like yourself who really do not have a business when you step out of it. So the moment you want to go for a month's holiday, the business stop. You know, some of some people would have one person helping them or an assistant at least, whatever. But um, at the end of the day, there's no legacy built into the business. There's no scaling built into the business. And then when you don't exist, then the business doesn't exist, which is a massive, massive risk for your business. So today we're going to talk a little bit about scaling for your business, some great ideas that you can use for your business, and more specifically, how to get you out of your business. Now, I know many of you are in your business because of the nature of the roles you have, like a speaking role or a consulting role or a coaching role, but I'm going to stretch your mind a little bit today and give you more alternatives if you do want to build the type of business uh, that allows for you to either work more uh, uh, off-site or remotely, or you're looking at, you know, eventually selling your business, or you building a business for your family that can eventually be scaled and that has a legacy in it. Now, most of you on this call uh, may know me, but we are recording these calls for future references. For those of you who don't know me at all, I'm uh, Lundy Jack. I'm the Global Director of Worldwide Business Intelligence that is represented by this octopus that you can see there at the top, which we fondly refer to as Oki. Now, Worldwide Business Intelligence is a, a company whose content, whose business intelligence is accredited by Education Alliance Finland, which means that you're not only getting really high quality content that's accredited, delivered to you, but it also means that the method of delivery is approved by this uh, institution. We literally went and looked for the country of the best educational systems in the world, which is now officially Finland. So we wanna make sure when we teach you scaling or mindset or business strategy or marketing or sales, whatever the topic is, that it's on a top quality level. Uh, we're also a CPD provider, so uh, for every certain amount of time you spend with us in training, you can earn CPD points. So this is just a little bit of uh, worldwide business intelligence uh, or the octopus system where this information comes from. Uh, this program or online edtech, edtech platform that we've developed have all this information on there in the form of videos and infographics that we share with people. And today, even on this call, you'll see there's an infographic that represents the technology or the business solutions that we share with you. I don't always talk about this, but uh, this is basically what the Octopus EdTech platform covers. We basically touching only on the area there that's indicated by the red arrow today. You have nine modules in Octopus. You have business strategy, conscious leadership, products and services, people and talent, smart marketing, sales mastery, you have customer journey, building systems, as well as mind brilliance. And uh, we basically here yeah, extracting a little bit in this presentation today out of module eight, which is about building systems. And I'm sharing this with you because all of you on this call would have access probably to the Octopus program, which uh, for those who's not sure, different from the Circle of Excellence program. So if you want to go deeper into this part of today's uh, presentation, you want to know more about building system, more about scaling, then I'll highly recommend that you go into Octopus Module 8 and then go deep, deep down that specific tentacle to get to know a little bit more. So why is it important that we scale? You know, people hear the word scale over and over again. And a lot of people has been trying to believe scaling is just about, you know, eventually selling your business. But scaling is so much more. Scaling means that the sum total of your business is much, much bigger and more sustainable than just you in the business. 
So the number one reason why I normally counsel people to really start looking at the way they do business, especially on a day-to-day -day business, a day-to-day -day basis, is because if you're the only person in your business or you're a few people in the business, not scaling means you open yourself up to incredible risk. I've seen so many people who would say, you know what, it's impossible for me to scale my business. Uh, they have excuses like, you know what, I can't delegate. Uh, it's impossible for me to employ someone or they have excuses like, uh, you know, I can only employ someone. I can't think of any other ways to scale. Uh, but at the end of the day, the reality is if you decide to go on a holiday or if, you know, in the unfortunate event you're in an accident or there's a dreaded disease, whatever, the business will simply stop. And I think this is uh, one of the things that uh, me and Mike has been very focused on, especially for the past eight years, is to say, you know what, we want a lifestyle. We want to be able to travel. We want to be able to take a month off and go to Greece. We want to be able to take um, a month or whatever off over holiday periods. We want to live and work. And so our philosophy has always been to build a business around your life and not a life around your business. And so for you to be the only one in the business and, you know, then maybe something happens to you. And, you know, it doesn't only have to be uh, that you're in a car accident or that you hit some dreaded disease, whatever. Sometimes you just want space. Sometimes you just want rest. Maybe you don't feel fully motivated because you're going through a transitional period in your life and uh, you want the business to be able to exist without you in it. So without scaling, you do run a lot of risk. Then the second thing is lifestyle. You know, um, I'm personally very passionate about, uh, you know, living your whole life staring at a white wall just doesn't make sense in my brain to me. I cannot imagine that you meant to come to this planet and set up a business where you sit in front of your computer and stare into your wall every day and actually do that to your brain. Because doing that to your brain means there's never proper input in your brain. You know, If you want proper input in your brain, you want to widen your peripheral view. In other words, you want to look at different things. I mean, the difference is you're all now looking at me here. And what you see in the screen is you see me and you see partially a portrait and you see a white wall. Now, I'm going to just bring something closer here. Just look how much color you can add to your life by just changing your location. Just look at that. Just look at all these colors and all these roses. And you see a little bit of Lundy's face through that. But yeah, by doing one thing different, I changed your peripheral view. I changed what you see in front of you. And I think most importantly, I changed the input of what's going into your brain. So if you want to really have a rich life and a rich business and a prosperous lifestyle and a mindset that's healthy, then you wanna put as many different things in front of you as possible. And you do that with lifestyle. So promoting that you scale your business, not only for lifestyle purposes, uh, but also for the health of your brain and sanity and also the quality of your ideas is why I would really consider scaling my business so that you're not always on a computer and that you actually have a life with variety and choices. Just quickly give me a thumb up that you can see the slides because we had a few hiccups with technology this week. Um, we're blaming it on the super full moon tonight, which is going to be the biggest this year called the flower moon. Okay, the third reason why you do want to scale is some of you on this call may want to sell your business. And many people don't always think of business as something to sell. People many times think of business as, you know what, it's going to give me product productivity, it's going to give me profitability, it's going to give me intellectual stimulation, I'm going to be providing for my family, I may be building a legacy for my children. But many of you are building a business to sell it. And if you want to build a business that's going to be sold, then at some stage, you know, it's going to go through uh, business brokers and due diligence. And one of the things they're going to be looking for, uh, like bloodhounds, is can this business 
actually exist without this person? And if they, the answer is no, uh, you're either not going to be able to sell this business or you're not going to get a good price for it. So you want to, from day one, start with the mentality of building processes and systems in your business so that this business can ultimately get a good valuation and ultimately can sell. So these are the golden principles of scaling. So you're saying to me, Lani, okay, great, you've convinced me now. I need to scale. What now? Okay, so what happens next? If I want to scale, what is the three golden principles that you can go today after this recording and already apply in your business? And these are the golden, golden nuggets. Nuggets that, that you can start with today. Many people overcomplicate scaling. Doesn't have to be complicated. For me, it starts really more with a mindset and that, that, that mindset then gets translated into process maps and systems. But the first thing that you want to do if you want to scale your business is you want to catch yourself out. Catch yourself out doing something in your business. So I'm going to give you examples because I know it sounds strange. You wake up in the morning, you're drinking your coffee, right? Some of you, it would be tea. For some of you with problems, maybe alcohol, right? But you get up in the morning and you drink something and you're actually going to start your day. Now you move on to the next phase of your day. You're on your computer and you're doing emails. Here's the first point of entry where you can start catching yourself. Now you go, is there someone or something else that can be doing what I'm doing here right now? Maybe a student maybe a virtual assistant, maybe someone who sits working with you. Right, now your day pro progresses. Now you go, I need to do proposals. I need to do proposals. Now you're doing proposals and you're all over the show. You have your Word document and you have your pages document and now you're saving it as a PDF and now you're mailing it to people. Now again, you catch yourself. Now you go, but wait a little bit. Is there someone who can do this on my behalf? Is there a software system that's already developed out there that can allow me to put numbers and figures in and it populates a presentation or it populates a proposal? Wait, maybe I can buy a template online and that template that I buy is the template I'm always going to use for my proposals and therefore it's much quicker for me to put it in and then I can maybe screen record what it looks like to fill in a proposal and give it to someone else. Okay, now your day progress. Now you're out and about, you're at a networking meeting. You're telling people about yourself at the networking meeting uh, and you're introducing yourself. Again, is that someone else can do for your business? Can you actually get people who's on a commission basis to go out for you and attend your networking meetings on your behalf and report back to you if there's good business? Now you're doing a talk, you're on stage. Now you catch yourself again. Can someone else do this talk on your behalf? Probably not. But is it possible that you can actually get other speakers in your business environment that can also promote your products and services? Yep, I can actually do that. I can get licensees. I can train them how to do a talk. And I can train them to sell one too many from stage. And I can get leads into my business. Now you go on and on and on. So you literally take a knife and you're slicing through your day. Every single action, every single thing you're doing, you're asking yourself, can someone other than me complete this task? And you will be blown away. Now, this is a difficult mindset for people because a lot of people build their business around their identity, around their fame, and around other people recognizing them because in school and universities and all those places, we've been taught that you have to be the expert. You have to be the specialist. And it's probably one of the biggest uh, errors that's been given to us in our education because you don't have to be that. You can surround yourself by that, but you don't necessarily have to be that. In fact, the less you are of an expert, the less the crowd around you rely on yourself, the more you'll have the ability to scale your business. So the mindset change would be rather than going to networking meetings and saying, 
Hi, I am Colin. I'm a Russian spy. You now go to network meetings and say, hi, I'm Colin. Is there anyone who wants to work for me as Russian spies? That, that, that's the difference in mindset. And when I say work for me as Russian spies, I mean either as an employee or as a business partner or a joint venture, you don't always have to employ people. So number one principle of scaling, catch yourself doing it and then find an alternative way for it to happen without you. The number two principle is once you've caught yourself doing something, uh, you have to get it out on paper. So you have to get it out of your brain. You know, as long as all this information on how to do things is in your brain, your business struggles to scale. So um, this is traditionally called, you know, process mapping. Uh, you can use pen and paper if you want to. Uh, you can doodle if you want to. You can use infographics if you want to. But ultimately, once you catch yourself doing invoicing, you have to take a piece of paper and you have to go, right, I've just done this. Let me just quickly write down the steps. So here's your pen. Here's your paper. Now I go, okay, I'm doing invoicing. Let's just quickly do this. You see people overcomplicate this process. They're too detailed. Now you just go, okay, step one is... Um, uh, with invoicing, for example, is uh, get the amount that I want to invoice and compare it with uh, what was the quote, for example, now as a process, step two, uh, load invoice, and then step three, send to client, step four, follow up after, uh, let's say, 15 days, follow up after 30 days, follow up after 90 days, poof, it's out of your head, right? It's on your piece of paper. Now you go, okay, so it's on my piece of paper, so it's out of my brain. Now you do the next thing. You may be on stage and you're preparing to do a talk on stage. And now you go, what is this whole process of doing a talk? Now you go, well, the first thing is step one, I put a presentation together. Here's the template for the presentation that I normally use, if that's possible in your environment. Number two, then I actually do preparation. Number three, then I set up the technical things. Number, whatever that is for you, it's different, different for everyone, but you put it down on a paper. Now, again, it's out of your head. Now, the more you can shift the intelligence of what you know out of your head, onto paper into some sort of checklist or steps or map you basically starting now with process mapping and you're starting to scale your business and you're also starting to make your business super attractive to someone else who maybe want to buy a business later and you're also making the value of your business going up you know many people come to me and say to me landy my goal for starting this business is to develop a solution for people um, and to be profitable. But my ultimate goal is from day one, I want to now build something to sell. It's actually an incredible, intellectually stimulating process to go through is to from day one, build something that you're going to sell. Also, it gives you an end goal, which is highly motivating. Right, now, the, now you've put it on paper, it's out of your brain, thank goodness. Uh, because it's making your brain heavy. If you don't get these things out of your brain on paper, you'll always walk with this heavy head and this heavy brain because no one else can do it with you but you. You want to get that stuff out of your brain. Now you have to hand it over. You have to say, right, invoicing is now in a process. I'm handing it over to my accountant. I'm going to pay them X amount per month to do my invoicing. I'm handing it over. Or you say, you know what? I'm going to actually screen record this process. I'm going to put it in front of me in the form of a presentation. Now I'm going to screen record it and I'm going to hand it over to a student. It's going to be in a file. It's not rocket science. All they have to do is follow the steps day by day mechanically. All they have to do is to be able to stick to a process. You have to hear me today. If you find a person who can stick to a process, you have found the biggest gem that you can ever imagine in your life. People, when they recruit, look for people who can do specific things. You can teach people anything as long as it's in a process. Look for a person who can demonstrate that they can stick to a process. That's probably the biggest, biggest gem. You want to throw out the red carpet for those people because they take so much off you.
So now you hand it over. You hand it over with training. You can hand it over with screen recordings. You can hand it over by doing standard operational procedures. You can hand it over by doing a manual. There's many, many ways. You can do video, uh, whatever way you want to do it, but make sure you get it off your desk and you hand it over. So this really is the golden principles of scaling. Catch yourself doing it. Say to yourself, I'm not going to do it. Get it on paper and out of your brain and hand it over. Simple things. People overcomplicate scaling. It doesn't have to be that difficult. So now I've said to you, look, you need to scale. Otherwise, your risk is too big and you're never going to have a lifestyle. I've given you the three principles of handing things over to other people so that uh, you can actually build a business that can be sold or scaled. And now I want to give you some of your options. And um, here's a nice infographic. And you're more than welcome to, to take a picture of this um, and, and sort of get your head around it afterwards if you want to actually go away and think about this. So you got it now. You've caught yourself out. You have got it on paper. And now you're looking for the type of people or things that can do it on your behalf. Now, the first one I want to mention there at the top where my arrow points is don't always go the people route. Don't throw away software as a service. Now, of course, there's people involved in there as well. But a very classic example of this is you using MailChimp. I mean, MailChimp have saved a lot of people a lot of time by being able to re or pre-schedule emails and then send it to mass people. So if you pre-schedule, um, you know, with the help of something like Buffer, a lot of emails in front of you going somewhere, you can probably, if you have a social media strategy, you can probably go a month in advance. You can go three months in advance. If you have a very well-planned strategy, you can even have your email scheduled a year in advance. I think a software as a service that's massively changed my life is Design Pickle. Um, you know, I use them as a company that does all our designs. You know, I could have sat for hours back and forth dealing with designers, but now with Design Pickle, I literally just brief them. Uh, I've even in many ways automated my brief briefing process because I understand what they need. I brief them and then uh, they do the designing for me. So the amounts of hours I wasted before Design Pickle is insane. In fact, I love them so much that uh, when we are going to be able to travel again, uh, they sit in the Philippines. The one that I'm working with at the moment is called Francis. The previous one was Jackie. She did so well. They promoted her and designed Pickle. But now we're working with Francis. So once the borders open, I'm literally going to make an effort to fly to the Philippines and go and meet Jackie and Francis because of what they've done for me. Now, it's a software. It's designed Pickle. It sits uh, in the cloud, but uh, it's real people sitting behind it and they deliver a service to you. It's, it's phenomenal in terms of handing things over. In this case now, from a design perspective. The next one you can look at there is regional licensees. This is where you split your offer into various regions and you sell licenses to those regions and the licensee go build that region. So let's say, for example, you consult people in health and safety, then you basically just go and put all your processes on paper. Everything is basically ready to hand over to other people and then you appoint a licensee for Europe and a licensee for Africa and a licensee for New Zealand and Australia and, and America and Asia and wherever, for Iceland if you want to. And you basically sell them that licensee and they build the business that you have built, but in that region based on your processes. And, and you charge a fee for that. And some people would actually uh, get um, commission on that as well. So that's another way you can actually give work away. Uh, the next one is to find a next level partner. I call it a next level partner because it's a person who is 10 times better than you. You know, many people's partnerships don't work because they look for someone who is at least 60% as good as them. 
uh, or 100%, and people get super, super disappointed in that. I mean, Colin, if he's going to look for Russian spies, he's not going to look for Collins. He's going to look for Collins. That's 10 times better than him because he needs to sit in his evil head office and get them to infiltrate all these places, and he's employing the specialist. He's not the specialist. He knows something about it, but he'll get the specialist. So you look for partners that's 10 times better than you, if they can be a celebrity or an influencer, even better. Uh, then, of course, you can take some of the chunks of your work and give it to an organization. It can be an organization that already exists. Uh, it can maybe, for example, a printing organization. So let's say you are in the business of graphic design. That is what you do. You design things for people. Now you spend hours looking for a company that can help with printing, why not just go and find a company already that's doing printing and you're doing a profit split agreement with them. And so now they sort of become part of your company or you split profits with them, saving you copious amounts of time. Then you can always look for a superstar person. Never underestimate the power of a superstar person in your business. This is really someone who aligns with your values. They have a massive track record of success. It's a key player and they can take you to the next level. So a classic example of a superstar person in our environment would be where you, for example, have developed a product and now you're looking for a person who's incredibly good with opening markets in Europe and you do a deal with them and that superstar person just opens up Europe for this product of yours and it just goes haywire. Um, and so your relationship with that person is incredibly important. Then you can hand over to established team so it doesn't have to be necessarily a company. I've always predicted that's going to be probably something of the future where you, for example, get a cooperation and the cooperation has a sales team. Um, I've always advised cooperations to not only use that sales team if they're performing for their own products and services, but to sort of outsource that sales team to other companies as well. So that's where you actually go and you have something that you hand over to established team. An example of us doing this recently is we have our lead magazine that we bring out once a year. So we have found a company that does uh, proofreading and editing um, and word architecture for their clients, but their team is established and works very well together. And we're literally just handing over the whole lead magazine concept over to them. And that team is taking it forward. And we're just doing profit split agreements and that type of thing with them. So you can literally take a complete chunk out of your business and go and share it with the other team or company and they take it forward. And then of course, uh, you can go and look for an ecosystem. So you can hand over some of your work to a community or to a network or an association. Uh, companies that does this very well is, I've seen this very much in the telecom services. Uh, what they do is it becomes too Mac, it becomes too crazy for them to have a call center. The call centers are overloaded. They can't answer all the people's questions. It's too costly. So what they do, they develop, let's say, a Facebook group and people go to the face, customers go to the Facebook group and customers answer the questions of customers. That's how you actually take some of the work you're doing at the moment and you're putting it into a community or a system and the work then is off you. So what I'll encourage you to do today is to look at something potentially for your business like an exit strategy dashboard. So you're basically going to play a game and the game is going to be, look, someone phones you and say, Melanie, congratulations, uh, you have won an acting role in Antarctica uh, where you're going to play a female warrior Viking and uh, you're going to have to go and shoot that. Now Melanie goes, this is just too exciting. I can't leave this opportunity, blah, blah, blah. But unfortunately, now my whole business is going to fall over because I'm shooting film, right? And when I return after a month, um, you know, my clients is going to ask where I was, relationships I built will be gone, blah, 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 because I'm shooting Wonder Woman in Antarctica. So I want you to play a game like that for yourself and say, if something like that crosses your path tomorrow, where you have to be for a month outside of your business, do you have an exit strategy dashboard that shows you how much of your business 
can survive without you. And this is just an example, but I mean, you can take this as inspiration for your business and you can go, okay, let's start here at the top um, left corner. How much of my income that I'm generating at the moment, say, in this case, 800,000 US dollars per annum, I'm just using figures here. Let's say I generate 800,000 US dollars per year. What percentage of that as things stand now can be generated without me? 17%, 50 50%, 100%. That's probably one of your first tests. And then you go and you break it even further down uh, there in those graphs I've given you there at the top. So you've gone 0% of my consulting can be generated without me at the moment. What can I do with that? With that? Uh, 90% of what I'm generating at the moment with regards to my digital products is automated and it's happening without me. Um, and 50% of the licensing content that I um, license out of that income can be generated without me. So now you go, mm, so looking at it quickly, you know, 150,000 here probably can be generated by me out of 800,000, it's not enough. So your, your business won't, you, you want to really at least aim for a 50% that can be generated without you in the business or more. I mean, the higher the income you can generate without you in the business, the more the value of your business will go up. Now you can go there to, um, you know, yeah. 100 qualified, you can actually go write down further your resources. You can say, what do I actually have here? I'm now on the left-hand side. Um, basically, uh, there where it says 100 qualified global partners. Now you can say, okay, what do I have at the moment in my exit strategy dashboard or in my basket that can assist me or can help me scale in in, in future. So now you're looking at resources that you have that can help you with scaling in future. And you go, okay, I have 100 qualified global partners around the world. That's quite powerful. Surely I can use that to help me scale and outsource. In your case, it might be something different. I do have accredited licensing, con licensing content, so that can help me scale. I've developed nine premium manuals that show people how I do my job and I have one best-selling book. So that's what I have at the moment. Let's not go and reinvent the wheel. Let's start with what we already have to help you scale your business. Then you go and you look at what is my product profit targets without me? Now I say, look, I want my consulting to make income of 480K per annum without me. I want my digital products to make that amount and my licensing content to make that amount. And that is probably the amount of people I'm going to need in my team to make that happen. So I'm probably going to need for my consulting target two extra people, for my digital products, one extra, and my licensing content, seven. Now you're looking at, why do I want seven people if my licensing content target is that low? So why don't I just rather focus on scaling my consulting business? Do you see how I do this here? And then you basically go and work out, you know, do I really have a budget for seven, eight, nine, ten people? Um, and, and do I want to employ all these ten people? Do I actually want to rather do business partnerships? Do I rather want to absorb another company? What do I want to do to reach these targets? And then you eventually go into what's my percentage target per profit? What, what do I want my consulting to be? I want 80% of my income to be generating by consulting without me in it. I want 95% of my digital products to be generating an income without me in it. And I want my licensing content to be generating 85% without me in it. For example, in consulting, you can go and build a bunch of consultants around you and you take a, 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 basically a cut from what they consult on. On the digital products, you can probably automate everything. That 5% is when software lets you down or there's digital hiccups. And on licensing content, you can basically sell licenses based on what you do in your business at the moment. And the, the percentage that's left there, the 15% is maybe the sales process or you know getting people to buy the license in the first place. And this is how you build an exit strategy dashboard 
This is just an example. You can get 10 times more creative with this, but this is where when you start tracking and measuring in your business, where your business can become very, very powerful. And don't think it has to be overcomplicated. You can choose something as simple as, I'm going to find material or t-shirts, I'm gonna print on those t-shirts, and I'm gonna sell those t-shirts into markets, but I'm gonna set it up from day one in a way where I'm not required in the business. So that way you build this business, this boutique business on the sideline, from day one with the goal to eventually sell it to a bigger company or a fashion line who, for example, want to absorb that business. So that is my whole story here. I'm going to stop sharing. And um, now I'm going to actually give all of you, because we're really good on time, uh, all of you an opportunity to ask any, any question that you may have around scaling your business. I'm going to take a sip of tea. Remember, if you have a question to unmute yourself or uh, Nicola, if you see any questions in the chat, we can maybe just bring those up and uh, get those answered. Anyone? Ah, I see Diane came through. Don't clients buy you? Yes, Diane, they do, but it's a little bit of a trap. Because the moment they've bought you, they won't be open to anything else. They would only want you. So you've created a dependency on you. So if you want to create a business that can scale and be sold, you really want to create the type of business that can exist without a reliance on you. So um, what a lot of people do if they're in the, let's say, coaching or consulting or advisory or counseling capacity, what they do, they start the business off initially with a dependence on you and then start to develop uh, develop um, technology, process maps, way of delivering whatever around that person and then eventually start handing over. So, so they do the groundwork like that. First, you start with the relationships and the grooming and the doing the business with you, then you start introducing more people so that the reliance on you is less. So you're building a bridge and then ultimately it's without you. A classical example is Richard Branson. I know he's been used so much, but Richard Branson certainly doesn't deliver. Um, you know, he's not the person who um, serve a person on uh, airline when they take Virgin Air or trains, you know, he has all these businesses under the Virgin brand. It started with his name, but what Richard did that is really, really smart is, um, you know, he, he felt that he had certain uh, restrictions in what he could do and what he couldn't do. So he, if you read his stories, was almost forced from day one to catch himself out put it on paper and hand it over, catch himself out, put it on paper and hand it over. And that probably is one of the biggest parts of his success story is that he, the moment he got an idea, he got other people to do it and not himself. And that's probably why he has all these companies because he's just scaling and scaling and scaling, but people still buy into the Richard Branson brand. So if you scale your business, you have to make the transition between people buying into Diane and people buying into the Diane Woman brand or the product that's been created by Diane that gets carried forward by other people. Tony Robbins has done it well as well with his coaching principle, but uh, I sometimes feel he's not been able to be as successful in carrying his brand over to coaches. Many times it's caused a disconnect for people, whereas Richard Branson has been very successful in carrying his brand over into his Virgin brand. And I would say a big reason for that success is Richard Branson made the transition away from him much quicker than what um, Tony Robbins did. Uh, Tony Robbins probably stayed longer in the fame and the stage life and the reliance on him, which made that extraction much harder. Whereas Richard, Bran Richard Branson, because of certain restrictions he had, had to uh, make use of other people and give it over and give it over. But if, if you want to scale and you uh, are holding on to things and you can't delegate, it's almost going to be impossible for you. You have to hand over. We have more things here. Um, 
in the principle of 2080, which areas would you focus on that have the biggest yield? Um, that's a fantastic question. I think initially, Philippe, I would focus mostly on uh, building relationships with people myself, uh, because those relationships is going to turn into business partnerships, is going to turn into joint ventures, is going to turn into companies doing business with companies. Um, and then the 80% from day one would be, you know, for you, those of you who's familiar with the 4Gs, the 80% would be lead generation, sales and delivery of the product is probably the stuff I'll hand over the quickest, the, the quickest. And my, my role would be that relationship building. So for those of you who know the money train, I would make 80% um, of my priority, the trust and the love carriage, and I'll make 20% of my priority, um, the lead, the, um, the sales and the journey carriage. And, and for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, the lead carriage is, um, you know, basically finding people to enter your universe and qualifying them. Then you take them to love and trust carriage where you build relationships with them. And then you take them to a sale and then on a client journey. So most of my focus will be on building relationships, literally closing my laptop, going out there, uh, focusing on the people and my relationships and, but not building relationships that make people reliant on my counsel, building the type of relationships that does deals. I think that's the biggest, biggest difference here. And then just with lead generation and sales and all those things, have teams around me and, and hand that over as soon as possible. Um, Ani, it does seem that it's harder for coaches to do this. As you say, Tony Robbins coaches uh, are of varying qualities. I couldn't agree more with you, um, Ani. And I think that's what a lot of coaches try and do they try and extract themselves out of their own business but in the same sentence um they they, they really got used to the idea of serving people and helping people and giving people solutions and it's not easy for them to extract from that so and i do get it you know many people went into coaching and consulting and counseling and mentoring because they want to be in an advisory capacity with people what i'll recommend you do there especially if you're a coach today on this call and you want to scale is to start getting start scaling 80 percent of your business as a coach so get other people to coach or get group coaching going or mastermind coaching going or online coaching going so that you're not always needed there. And then what you do, you create a premium product as a coach uh, and your, your highest level and you keep on coaching, but only with that 20% high premium, highly priced clients. And then you scale the rest of your coaching business so that your risk is managed better. Uh, here comes another one from Zamu. Does every business have scaling ability opportunity? Absolutely, Zamu. I think one, some businesses are more difficult than others. Uh, you know, they, there's your uh, mortar and bricks businesses. There is your services industry that normally really struggles with this type of things. But um, ultimately, if you speak to any corporate in any industry, what they've done is they scaled. So any corporate in any industry is an entrepreneur that scaled. Um, they basically went, look, if we want to have more profit, more influence, more impact, we have to scale. And um, I think that's why scaling for me is important because I do understand why people want to build their business around their identity and business card, because it's important for them to deliver the service and give back but the person is moving from entrepreneur to conscious leader and ultimately to influencer is the person who will realize that if I really want to have an impact with what I'm doing here at the moment I need team I need software I need uh, magnification around me in order to take this incredible thing that I have in my heart in my products and in my services and make it go uh, I have another one here. Uh, how would you identify a business that has now peaked? I think I'm going to need a little bit more uh, context around that question, um, Zamu. So I don't know if you want to unmute yourself and just give me some context so I can give you a better answer. How would you identify a business that's peaked? Okay, so I don't know if you want to give me a little bit more on that, Zamu, in writing, or if you would just want to unmute yourself while we wait for him to come through, is there anyone else with any questions? Please, it, it really loves this typing as well because I'm actually seeing it coming up here next to me as we go. 
anyone with more questions. Mandy, can I give an example of a coaching business and how they've just scaled and they're busy Please. doing it as we talk? Please do, Melanie. I would love that. So I'm an NLP practitioner and the company that I trained with, what he's just done is to try and get it out everywhere. Obviously, he used to do it personally and then he had his own coaches, you know, that he started to mentor. And what he's done now is he's created a program where he's going to do all the coaching sessions as videos. And then he's creating a team around him, which will end up being across the world, who are basically facilitators of that specific coaching material. So in that way, he's going to scale up his business radically and get the message out a hell of a lot more. So I thought it was quite powerful. That is very, very powerful. And thank you for sharing that with us because... Um, these people that's doing some pretty um, amazing things at the moment, and I think COVID as well, has given a lot of people the opportunity to look at scaling options and things that they would not have ever considered before. So it's really, really interesting to see what people are doing at the moment and how they're using their current um, resources to go ahead and not only scale, but to partner with other people. I just quickly want to bring something up here and I'm probably going to have to do a screen share because um, I want to use this in answering uh, Mzamu's question here about when is a company reaching a plateau? And so I'm just going to ask you to let me know when you can see this on the screen. Now, not the prettiest picture on the block, but it's just to, to bring the concept across. Melanie, thank you for sharing that. Okay, so you see Yem Zamui in front of you. We have the flower of life, right? And that's why there will never be a plateau when it comes to scaling because the one circle can always absorb the next circle. And the moment one petal of the flower touch the other petal of a flower, a new connection is established again, and so on and so on and so on. So when it comes to scaling and when it comes to, um, you know, constantly connecting and reconnecting with other people, it becomes universal. And I think that's the beauty of this process because many people are very, very um, resistant in planting that seed, let's call it now for the purposes of this, the flower of life, they're resistant because, you know, they have to make this one connection and other connections. So it expands them. But once they start doing it and all of these petals start connecting with the other pe petals, you get an exploding effect. So that is what we normally mean by one plus one equals 11. So you on your own heel can never have the impact um, effect, and I think here's the keyword: the possibility uh, that just one can have, because those connections will be. A, a lot of the quantum physics and science refers to this as string theory. So really, the more the more you expand and make connections, the more that flower of life expands and it becomes infinite. So I don't believe in plateaus. Um, I believe in the infinite. So the more you open, the more the connections will make and the more uh, the, the miraculous can be created. And the same principle allow, uh, the same principle goes for business as well. Any other questions? Let's see. Um, we got Mzama's questions here. So any other questions? We still have uh, quite some time left. Colin, are you asking a question or waving? Oh, or is there a fly? Oh, yeah. I want to ask a question. <laughs> this is a Russian spy speaking. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to report you to the KGB. You'll never dare. <laughs> First of all, Landy, I want to say to you, you know, I work in the exit strategy space, as you might know, and uh, thank you for a very informative session tonight. Um, You're welcome, Colin. It was really, really good. Um, I just want to be a little bit lighthearted here. My late father always used to say when somebody started talking about being an expert, he said that the definition of an expert is an X is a has been and a spurt is a drip under pressure. 
Well, bless your light, Father Colin. Now there's the words of wisdom right from straight from the other side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. true, isn't that? You know, and yeah. I love that you shared that, Colin, because I think our education, our training, and by no one's fault, you know, everyone when they schooled us and everyone tries their best, right? But I yeah. think our educational system has really taught us that you have to choose one career and you have to go with career planning and you have to choose one field of study. And now it's actually uh, biting us in the buttocks because we're entering the era of the polymath. And for those mm -hmm. of you who's interested in the concept of the polymath, go and Google it. It's fascinating. Are we actually now entering the space where the person who combines their skills and the skills of other people is the person who has that ability to create magic. And you see this happen at networking events. Garth, you're an absolute guru in networking. So you can, you can contest to this happening, whether the, the networking ecosystem is built on the principle of being an expert, because you literally stand up and you go, hi, my name is this, I'm in, in health and safety, or hi, my name is this, and I'm in that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you can get those experts to start colliding or build that flower of life concept. And Garth, it's probably the part of networking that's been the mostly frustrating to you as that everyone sits on their silo, but they don't sit around the table and go, hey, you're an expert, you're an expert, you're an expert, but let's think what organization or institution, or maybe a more of a modern term, ecosystem we can create together with all these experts. And this is what I refer to as beehive mentality. You cannot just have the queen bee in the beehive. You can't just have her sitting there. The beehive will not operate. You need the workers bees. You need the pollinators. You need people coming to and from. This whole beehive become a living eco ecosystem. But many entrepreneurs live and work like the queen bee, only the queen bee, and there she sits, and nothing happens, right? The beehive need all these aspects, all these pollinators, and visually, it's beautifully for me normally to talk about the beehive mentality, because the more you get the worker bees and all the other things in, and the butterflies and the pollinators, the more this beehive start to vibrate, and then it goes out into the world and it pollinates and it creates sweetness and honey. Business is exactly the same. So I don't think we have any more questions here. If there's anyone else, Garth, if there's anyone else who want to ask a question, now is your time. We're actually good on time. I always try and try and finish earlier for questions. And today I actually succeeded. So any more questions is very, very welcome. Uh, I see a thank you from Philippe. Philippe, you're always very, very welcome. I don't think we have any other questions coming through. I thank you all. I appreciate you all and I appreciate your time. May you have a wonderful morning or evening wherever you are in the world. And we'll see each other hopefully soon. Bye. <laughs>